In Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Can we go ahead and give God one round of applause? Uh, thank you guys for being here tonight. My name is Adam Lynch. I'm the young adult pastor uh, here at Connection Point, and uh, I am so excited that you are here. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Uh, none of you have to be here except for me, and so thank you uh, for being here. It's uh, We pray for you all the time, and we've been praying a lot for uh, the summer and the summer series, and we're starting a series tonight uh, called Swipe Right. Starting a series tonight called Swipe Right, and so we're so glad we're here. Uh, just to start it off, like this is not a series that I came up with. This is a series and a book uh, by Levi Lesko, and so the book is called Swipe Right, and he did a sermon series, and he made the series available to other churches that would want to share it. So this is not original Adam Lynch stuff. So if I say something tonight, like don't go on Twitter and be like, oh, Adam Lynch, he thought about, like a lot of this is not original for me. Cool? Three people like, okay, cool. Well, anyways, well, I'm glad you're here. Like I said, we're in the series called Swipe Right, and we're talking about the, the life and death power uh, of sex and romance. The life and death power of sex and romance. And tonight, I'm going to say some things that are going to make me blush. I'm going to say some things that might make you blush, and I really don't care. It's going to be hilarious to watch everybody laugh. Some, someone's excited. And so, uh, so here at the net, I love when you have your Bible open and like on your phone or whatever, and I love when you take notes. So if you have your Bible, uh, fire them up or open them to uh, Exodus chapter 15. Uh, Exodus chapter 15. Um, and we're hoping and we're praying that through this series that uh, we will help you uh, see that God wants to help uh, regret-proof your marriage bed and your deathbed. It's our hope through this series that, that you will regret-proof your marriage bed and your deathbed. We believe that that's what God wants for your life. Like, wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you love that if you lived carefully now that you could, you could regret-proof your marriage bed? If you live carefully now and through the rest of your life that you could regret-proof your deathbed? I mean, don't you want that? I know I want that. Like, through wise living, through following what Jesus has for your life. Like, don't you want that? I know I want that for my life. And so that's our hope through this series, Swipe Right, that we're going to help you regret-proof your marriage bed and your deathbed. Everybody say marriage bed. Everybody say deathbed. I love a lot of response. So, okay, I'm going to be asking for it all night. Um, so, and so we want to pray. That's what we want to pray. God help us. Heaven help us to regret proof, regret proof our marriage beds and our deathbeds. And really from this day forward, so whether you're in your, like wherever you're at in your life, if, if you, you know, if you have gone, you know, too far, you've gone to a place where you're not supposed to, it's our prayer. Like we're going to use the language of from this day forward. You know, that's really the language of this series is that from this day forward, this is how we're going to live. We're going to live in a way that Christ wants us to live. So that's the heartbeat of the series. Um, because, you know, we can't do anything about what we've done in the past. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I don't have, like, the green ring that goes back. I don't know what that's called. From What's that, Dr. Strange? Timestone. Thank you. There's two nerds in the room. That's me and him. And, like, I, I can't go back. You know what I mean? Like, anyways, I was, about ready, I was about ready to spoiler Infinity War, but I'm not going to. Anyways. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so, but none of us can take back what we've done in the past. 
You know, and so that's the language, and that's really, I hope you feel the heartbeat of the series. It's not like me, like, shaking my finger at you, and like, you've done so many bad things, okay? Like, it's really to help us regret proof of the marriage bed and the deathbed. So uh, I want to jump into Exodus chapter 15 to kind of set the tone uh, uh, for what we're going to be talking about, to, to set a launching pad for what we're going to be talking about in the next several weeks. Um, to, to kind of catch you up, Moses has just successfully led the children of Israel out of Egypt, okay? And so if you've seen the Prince of Egypt, you kind of know the story, you know, like uh, Moses goes back to Egypt. He was, a, he was in the will, he was like gone for 40 years, and he comes back and talks to his stepbrother, I guess it would be, who's Pharaoh, and he's like, hey, you should let my people go. God's telling us, you know, God's telling me to tell you to let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, I don't think so. No way. I'm not doing that. And then all the plagues come, the lice, the frogs, the boils, the blood. All that, so all that stuff happens. And then Pharaoh's like, okay, get the heck out of here. And so they're going. And then Pharaoh has a change of heart. And they're crossing the Red Sea. And as the Israelites cross the Red Sea, through the Red Sea, uh, the, uh, the Egyptians are behind them, and God closes the Red Sea, and everybody dies, okay? So that kind of catches us up really quickly. <sighs> To Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. Okay, so and it should be up on the screen if you don't have it. But So it says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness. Okay, so check this out. They found no water, no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah, and that word means bitter. Okay, and so... Basically, what happened was, so they crossed the Red Sea, and they're traveling. They're traveling for three days, and they have no, they have no water. Like, they have only, they, they didn't take anything with them from Egypt, so they have nothing. And, and so they've gone three days without any water, okay? And so in the distance, through the wilderness, they can see this pool of water, okay? And so they go to it, and they couldn't drink it. And uh, they said that the water was bitter, Okay, so let's continue on. Uh, and it says that they complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statue, an ordinance for, for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, if you do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, and I will put none of these diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians, listen, for I, God, says to you, I am the Lord who heals you. Aren't you thankful that we have a God who heals us? Aren't you thankful that we have a God who heals us in every single circumstance? Um, and so we're calling this first message tonight, we're calling this first message, Water Everywhere and Not a Drop to Drink. Everybody say, Water Everywhere, but Not a Drop to Drink. Water Everywhere and Not a Drop to to drink. And like, wouldn't that be a huge bummer to die of thirst in the middle of the ocean? You know what I mean? Like you're stranded on a boat or something and you're in the middle of the ocean and you cannot like drink any of the, the water. Like, you know, like you're surrounded by water, but you can't drink it. And you see, that's the predicament that the nation of Israel is in uh, uh, right now. That's the condition. That's the predicament that they're in. You see, they just came through the Red Sea, which is one of the most salty bodies of water ever uh, on earth, and they pass through it, and they get through it, and they're thirsty, right? Like they've been traveling for three days, and now they come to this Mara, this body of water, and they're seeing it in the distance, and they're relieved. Like you can, you can 
like you can imagine their sense of relief, you know, like you can imagine, like they see it and they're like, oh my gosh, there's water, you know, like you can imagine their lips are really chapped, like they're probably like really, really like burnt, you know, because they've been in this heat, this desert heat for, for three days, you know, so they see this from a long ways off, and so you can imagine they're like running to it, you know what I mean, people are like, taking off their clothes, whatever, you know what I mean, like jumping in, you know, and you can imagine they're like lapping up the water, and as soon as they're lapping, lapping it up, they're spitting it out because it's bitter, it's bitter, and now they're bringing this complaint to Moses, and they're saying, what the heck, man, you brought us out of Egypt just to die, like now they're complaining to Moses, and they're discouraged because they're surrounded by water, but there's not a drop to drink, and I just wonder if that's not just an appropriate analogy for us to begin a dialogue about how to navigate through our romantic decisions in this world. Because uh, we're living in a culture, we're living in a moment uh, where sexuality is everywhere. Like sex, sexuality is everywhere. Like there's options, we abound with options every, everywhere. And really, quite honestly, uh, we are living in historic times. Like it's said that uh, people don't know the historic times that they live in, but we're truly living in an age that we've never, the world has never experienced before. Like from the 1700s to the 1900s in the, in the Industrial Revolution, like a lot changed. But more has changed in the, in the past 30 years than in all of history combined. Like, life has been changing on a dizzying scale with prolific, prolific speed because of technology. Um, you know, someone once said that all we wanted to do was not die of the bubonic plague. Now it's like we don't want to die, but we want a hot tub too. Like, our goals have, like, t you know what I mean? Like, like we to our, our goals and our expectations for life have totally changed. You know, like, like we think about, you know, the average square foot of a home. Like, we want a bigger home. We want more stuff, you know. Like, the things that we talk about needing, you know what I mean, are not really I wonder if there really needs, you know, and, and a lot of this pressure comes because we're, we're living in America, you know, and technology has brought this pressure and this expectation that we need more and more and more. And so we're living in historic times and uh, there's a lot of swiping going on. There's a lot of swiping going on. Uh, they say the average American checks their phone. OK, check this. The average American checks their phone 150 times a day. Okay, so that's once every six minutes. So that means at least five or six times that I'm talking, you're going to check your phone. And I know it's just because you're writing down, like, awesome sermon notes. Uh, but, yeah, the average American checks their phone once every six minutes. Once every six minutes, you have to look at your phone. And they say it's... Ha uh, <laughs> They, they say there's something interesting happening. They're like, there's something really interesting that's happening to people. And there's a saying that they call the phantom vibration sensation. Raise your hand if you've ever felt the phantom vibration sensation. Okay, so we're all experiencing this. Okay, like yesterday, there's several times where I was sure my uh, Apple Watch, like, vibrated. And I was like, oh, I got a text. <laughs> and, no, like, there's nothing. I was like... And I was preparing this message, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's me. I'm old, and I feel like that. You know what I mean? Like, and so there's this phantom vibration thing where, where you know, you swear you feel your, uh, your, your phone, like, vibrate. Like, oh, I got a text. And then you look at your phone, it's like, oh, no, there's nothing there. Or your Apple Watch went off. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Uh, well, I guess I'll just look at Instagram, blah, 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 blah. And then another six minutes goes by, and you're like, oh. I, and you check, and there's nothing. I guess I'll just get on Amazon. You know, Amazon, ooh. 
forget Amazon. They take all my money. But like, <laughs> but what's happening, so what's happening is you're not feeling the buzz. What you're, what's happening is your brain is craving your phone. Your brain is craving your phone, and your brain's saying, hey, it's been six minutes, you need to check your phone. So your brain is making you feel a buzz that's not there, so you'll check your phone. And you'll get this hit of dopamine. Because every time, like, dopamine is, like, the same thing. It gets released, like, when, when you, like, take drugs and stuff. And so, like, every time you, you get a text message, boom, you get a hit of dopamine. Like, every time you get a like on Instagram, it's like, boom. And you're like, ooh, that feels good. Someone liked me. Like me again. I want you to like me more. You know, so every time someone likes, you know, it's like you get hits and hits and hits of, of dopamine. Um, and we really uh, have no idea what any of this is doing. Like, we have no idea what we're, what we're doing to ourselves. Like, honestly, no one can tell you because the paint is still wet with this whole Internet thing, okay? So I'm 32 years old. Wow, that's really young, Adam, I know. Uh, so I'm 32 years old, and uh, the World Wide Web has only been out for, has been out there for about, like, 27 years, about 27 years or so. And so it's not even long enough to really understand and do studies on what we're doing to ourselves in this global experiment called the Internet. And it's certainly not making us better drivers, and it's certainly not making us better communicators. Like, <laughs> like there's this time I drove into a ditch. I was a waiter, and I was in a parking lot, and I drove into a ditch because I was on my phone in college. That's terrible, okay? And it's not making us better communicators, you know, because, like, you know, you text someone, like, how's the party? And then they send you, like, like a firework emoji, a pizza, and then a smiley face. It's like, that's communication now? Like, really, that's how the party was? Or how about that? Or how about that? How about that? Catch me outside. How about that? Is that communication? This is making us dumber. It's making us dumber, okay? Gosh. Like, that's not English. That's not English. Catch me. Anyways. Anyways. Um, so what, so how does this, what does this do when it comes to sex? What does this mean for us when it comes to romance? Or what about when it comes to dating? Because, see, before you used to meet someone in a bar or you'd meet someone in a restaurant or you'd meet them at church. There's a novel idea that's crazy to meet someone at church. And we're actually, we're actually going to talk about that uh, in this series. We're going to talk more about uh, where you want to meet the kind of person you uh, think will be a good grandfather or a great grandmother or a great husband or wife. We're going to talk about that. And I think church is a great place to meet someone. Um, but I think we're meeting people. Can we talk to you, like, just for real tonight? Yeah. I need four people to be for real with me tonight, and I'll be, that's the only four people I'm going to preach to, okay? Like, I think we're meeting people because we think we're, they're hot. Obviously, my wife did that with me. Uh, uh, but, we're, but we think we're meeting, like, we're, I think we're meeting people because of a physical attraction, not, and we're not thinking 50, 70 years down the road. We're not thinking till death do us part. We're not thinking about that, and it's because technology is changing that in us. You know, you think about dating apps, you know, dating apps. Um, you think about how the Internet has affected dating or dating apps, you know. Like, before you said, like, like is you got mail, you know, like, meeting someone through, like, you can meet someone through a meaningful email. Now, like, that seems absolutely Victorian and old to think about meeting someone through an email. And then the Internet, like, through the Internet became, like, dating sites, like eHarmony. Uh, what else is out there? Uh, Christian Mingle, yeah, Christian Mingle. Uh, what? Farmers Only, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how I met my wife. That's, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, Plenty of Fish in the Sea, okay. There's OkCupid, okay uh, there's Hinge. Uh, 
now, like, all this has become uh, mobile. So now you have, like, dating apps on your phone. And, uh, yeah, there's, like, Hinge. There's Happen. And then, of course, the most popular of all, the 800-pound gorilla in the room, is Tinder. Okay? And Tinder... Uh, is this app that introduced meeting people by like swiping and sorting through them. And so, um, for so, for, okay, let's just be for real. For like, for some of you, this would be education, and for the rest of you, just act like you have no idea what I'm talking about, okay? So, like, I know ha like 90% of you have Tinder on your phone. So, if you get a Tinder notification, just act like, oh, that's my Bible app telling me I need to read. Like, okay, so as I talk about Tinder and what Tinder is, just act dumb, like, I have no idea. Swipe right, what, swipe left, what does that mean? Gosh, I was talking to a kid. Uh, a guy who works here, and anyways, we're joking about stuff, and uh, this these 15-year-olds were like, oh my, I said, I would swipe right on him, and they were like, oh my gosh, he's a hard swipe left, and I was like, you're 15 years old, why do you know what Tinder, like, how do you know what swipe left is? What do you do? Anyways, that was not in my notes, but anyways, um, so act confused, but anyways, basically Tinder is basically you see a pic, you guys all know, like you see a picture of someone, you think they're, you don't think they're hot, you swipe left, you think they're hot, you swipe right, and if you both swipe right, you know, it's basically a hookup app, okay? And basically what you're doing is you're making a snap judgment. You're, you're, you're making a gut instinct, yes or no. Swipe left on their face, swipe no on their face. Um, and, of course, like Tinder has brought the swipe right thing into so much more. Like it brought it into the market world. Uh, uh, it's, on, it's everywhere. It's on commercials. And so the, the swipe right thing has become really big. Uh, in our culture, but I just recently read in Wired magazine uh, that Tinder reached its trillionth swipe. Like, Tinder just reached their trillionth swipe. So a trillion times people have swiped on Tinder. And I read a really disturbing piece in Vanity Fair about how this is living its way out in, uh, in our society, especially in common places like Indianapolis, you know, where places where young professionals are career-minded and they feel like they don't really have time for a relationship. I want to focus on my law degree. Uh, I want to focus on my career. And so Tinder has become huge with young professionals because uh, all they have to do is fire it up, you know, Boom, boom, boom. We both swipe right. At the end of the night, I can get laid and then go back to my life. I don't have to have a relationship, you know. And, and, you know, people can do that two to three times a week. You can just hook up with someone. You can have a drink, fire it up. Boom, boom, boom. We both swipe right. The chirp of a notification. I get to meet someone, and uh, we hook up. And by the end of the night, I've slept with this person or i slept with this person. And uh, one girl said, this is really, one girl said this in an article, she said, most guys are not interested uh, in dating. They're interested in hitting and quitting it. And I can use Tinder to hit it and quit it at no strings attached and just have ca casual encounters. It's as easy as calling an Uber. And this is the world we're living in, okay? Like, like this is the world you're living in. This is the world that I'm living in. But it's not just dating apps, okay? It's also in pornography. So pornography, like, is streaming now at the highest speeds ever imagined. It's, it's streaming at the highest speeds uh, possible to every device that you can ever imagine. Um, we, and it's causing us to live in this sex-saturated society uh, where you can't even walk down Times Square without seeing someone who's, like, basically half-naked. You know, like, I had this on my notes, and I saw someone on Facebook. I was on Facebook earlier before you guys came here, and one of my friends was in Times Square recently, like, 
today or yesterday. I can't remember what it was. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to see if that, like, that, that stat's really true. And so, like, I looked at his picture, and, like, boom, like, right there was this girl who was, like, half naked. Like, in like everywhere you go, it's just, like, naked people everywhere. It's just, like, in previews and movies, naked. Netflix, naked. You, you know what I mean? Like, naked, naked, naked. Everybody, you know, like, like, everybody's naked. Everything is naked. I'm trying to get this reinforced in your head. Um, but, like. I remember how hard it was to find, like, a, a picture of a naked person, okay? Like, I'm from the age where, like, it was really hard to find, like, pornography. You know what I mean? Uh, like, in middle school was the first time that uh, I ever saw a naked uh, uh, person, naked female. And, like, and I tried, you know? And I was at a friend's house. A friend, like, I was at a friend's house, and he was like, hey, my older brother has these Playboy magazines. Like, you got to see this. And uh, I was 14, and I was like, okay. And I remember, I remember seeing it, and I was like, this is very interesting. Uh, I had no idea this existed. Wow, this is, I was not aware of any of this, you know? And uh, so I was 14. And I texted my dad yesterday. This is really weird because we don't have a relationship like this. But I texted my dad. I was like, Dad, when was the first time you were exposed to pornography? And I, I can imagine, like, because my dad's not a Christian. He was probably just like, I, I came back on a date one time. My dad was like, did you get lucky? And I was like, no, because I'm not trying to do that. Anyways, uh, what was it? Oh, pornography. So, so I texted my dad. Uh, sorry, sorry. So I texted my dad, and I said, uh, how old were you when you first looked at pornography? And he said he was 14. I'm sorry. I was 10 when I first saw pornography. I was 10 when I first saw pornography. My dad said he was 14. His older brother had a magazine, and he saw it, okay? So my dad was 14. I was 10 when I first saw pornography. And now you need to get this, okay? You need to get this. I read in USA Today that the average age now in America for a kid being exposed, first being exposed to pornography is now age 6. In, in America, the average age for a kid... Being inadvertently exposed to pornography is age six. They didn't mean to. They're online. They're on Instagram. They're on something. And, you know, they accidentally clicked on this or an ad came up, and, and they were exposed to pornography. They didn't mean to, but they were exposed to it. 36%, 36% of the Internet is pornography. 36% of the Internet is pornography. Almost half of the Internet use is pornography. At any given moment, at any given moment in our country, 1.7 million pornographic uh, videos are being streamed at any given moment. One out of, this is where it gets really sad, one out of three 13 to 14 year old boys are heavy porn users. Heavy porn users with an, and they average watching about 50 clips of pornography a week. And there's actually these porn detox camps for middle school students where they can go and detox from pornography uh, because they're looking at stuff and they can't stop and they don't want to look at it. Like, they, they, like they're not like looking at it because they want to. It's, they're looking at it because they can't stop. And so like there is a whole lot of swiping. There's a whole lot of stuff going on that, that, that is incredible. And, uh, so what, so, and that's the world we're living in. That is the world you and I are living in. That's the world that I'm, gonna, I'm raising my son in. You know, and so what's, what's, uh, what's a boy to do? What's a girl to do, you know, living in this world? Because here's the thing. Like, we didn't choose what era we were going to live in. 
you know. And millennials get braided all the time for, like, being lazy and all this stuff, but, you know, and using technology. But here's the deal. Like, none of us get to say, I want to be born in the Renaissance. You know what I mean? Like, like I didn't come out and be like, you know what, I'm going back to the, you know, early 1800s. You know what I mean? Like, none of us get to, we don't have that option. And so this is the world we're living in. And the question is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Because I don't see it going away anytime soon. So what are we going to do? And in this series, like, and in this book, Levi is not suggesting in this series that we need to quit, like, all internet and all technology. You know what I mean? Because that would be stupid. Like, what are we going to do? Go back, like, sell, like, get rid of all of our stuff, move to the woods, you know, churn our own butter. That sounds awesome, actually. I would actually do that. Like, just hunt all the time and, shoot, like, shoot stuff, and that would be amazing. But, like, we can't do that. You know what I mean? And so uh, we have to be in the world to reach the world. You know what I mean? Like Jesus said, be in the world but not of the world. Okay? So we can't go back to prehistoric times where we're not going to have technology. And so what are we going to do? We can't hide ourselves from the world because Jesus has said, go into the world and make disciples. And that's what we're called to do. And so uh, we have to be in it to reach it. And so we're not suggesting that we stop swiping. Uh, what we're saying is, is heaven help us to swipe right. Like help us to swipe right. Help us to, to choose the things uh, that, that God would have us to choose, you know. We're, we're praying, God, help us to live rightly in your sight. God, help us to live rightly in your sight. And so there's a story of Moses. Uh, there's a story of Moses before he, he led the Israelites uh, out of Egypt. It was 40 years prior to that. Um, he was like the prince of Egypt or something. And uh, he uh, saw one, uh, an Egyptian soldier, uh, he was beating a, uh, uh, a slave, an Israelite sa- slave. And so Moses was filled with this, like, anger and passion to kill this guy. Like, he, he, he had this emotion of anger, okay? And so in Exodus 2, 12, it says, Moses looked this way and he looked that way. I guess you could say he looked left and then he looked right. He's like, should I swipe left? Should I swipe right? Should I do this? Should I do that? And because he had this great passion inside of him, uh, and now this passion and this desire was anger, it was, it was vengeance, and these feelings, uh, he acted upon these feelings, okay? And he acted out of an impulse. He acted out of desire. And I think we're doing the same thing. I think technology and, and the way like, things are going, I think we're acting more out of impulse, and we're acting out of, more out of desire instead of Love and how Christ wants us to act. So, so he has this feeling, and it says he looked this way and he looks that way, and it says he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Okay, so I want you to catch this. Why? Because he saw no one. Because he saw no one. There was no one there to stop him from, what, uh, from doing what he felt he was doing, like he should do. Like he felt, hey, no one's look, I'm going to look at my left, look at my right. Nobody's looking. I'm going to do what I feel. And so it kills this Egyptian. But you see what Moses failed to do, what I'm suggesting that we do, is that we need to look up. Okay, instead of looking right, instead of looking left, like we need to look up. Because here's the deal, like the coast is never clear. God is always watching. And I'm praying that over your life. I'm praying that over my life. I'm praying that over your family's life. I'm praying that over your grandchildren's life, over your kids' life, over your great-great-great-grandchildren's life, is that you would not look left or you not would look, look right, but I would pray that we would look up. Instead of looking at the world around us and trying to decide what to do, my prayer in this series is that we would look up. 
and here's the deal, like, we don't give this, like, we're not doing this series from a place of having it all together. Like, we do not have it all together. I do not have it all together. I still mess up. I still sin. I still lust. I still do things that I'm not supposed to do. Like, I am affected by, like, I told you that I have that phantom vibration thing too, right? Like, I like it when people like me. I like it when people hit like on Instagram. So this is a us thing, not me doing this, okay? And so, like, maybe you grew up in a church, and just at some point, like, you heard the Ten Commandments enough, like, okay, you got it, like, okay, God hates me, and he's waiting to squash you like the cockroach you are. Okay, maybe you feel like God is like Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank. He's like, you're a cockroach. I'm going to kill you. And in your mind, like, you're just like, this, you know, God is just wagging his finger at me. Or maybe you had a mean old Sunday school teacher, you know, who was always, you know, just bashing you, and her bad breath is just like in your face, and she's wagging your finger like, don't do this, and don't say this, and don't look at this, you know. And, and you're thinking to yourself like, we're going to be talking pretty real. And maybe you're talking like, maybe, I don't think a pastor should be talking like this. Like, I don't think a pastor could say, hit it and quit it. I don't think a pastor could say, get laid or anything like that. Because in your mind, you come from this point of reference that pastors are people who get up on stage and answer questions passionately that no one's asking. Maybe that's, that's, maybe that's your view of pastors, that they just get up on a stage and they're passionately answering questions that nobody's asking. And here's the deal. I have no desire to do that. Like, I don't want to ignore the things that are plaguing you and plaguing me and plaguing our society. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to talk about things that are real. We're going to talk about things that are actually happening. You know, because I can talk about blah, 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 blah. But if it's not where you're at, I don't care. You know? So maybe I'm going to talk a little bit more street level because it's real. And if you can't handle it, that's okay. That's okay. But that's how I'm going to talk for the rest of the series. Is that okay? So, anyways. Anyways. uh, If you, like, anyways. This book, like, you should really grab this book, get, like, two or three people together and go through this book. Like, you, like it doesn't have to be an organized net small group. Like, so what's really cool is that you don't need my permission to get into a group and study a book. That's really cool, right? I'm being sarcastic. But, like, you should do that because it's amazing. So, anyways, I got some things that I want to share with you. And if you take snapshots of, like, the notes on the screen and post it online, make sure you give a little bit of explanation because it could come across weird. Okay. But anyways, uh, I want to – so first thing, I want to say on record, on behalf of God, uh, what he has to say on this subject, okay? So the first thing is that God wants you to have amazing sex. <laughs> so there that is. There, there's that. God wants you to have amazing sex. Okay, everybody claps. Um, uh, in the context of marriage. In the context of marriage, and we're going to talk more about that. So if you take a picture of that and put it online, don't be like, Adam says we can have amazing sex. I'm saying in the context of God's plan that we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, But sex is a gift given by God for us to be enjoyed. It's actually the first gift that he ever gave man except for a nap, if you you don't include the nap. But I do include the nap. I include the nap, okay? Like the first gift, like like he put Adam to sleep, you know what I mean? Like that is a gift. Like... Like, college students take four-hour naps. You're never going to be able to do that for the rest of your life. So I regret every nap I never took when I was, like, a kid. Anyways, because I have a kid, and now we never, never get to sleep. But anyways, so I include the nap because um, I love naps. And so God is in the Garden of Eden, okay, and he puts Adam to sleep, and he's in a nap, and Adam woke up, and there she was. Like, there's Eve. And she's naked, and he's like, oh, yes, Lord. Yes, yes, God. Yes, God. You know what I mean? Like, says, whoa, man, like. You know, anyways, and he's like, hey, girl, you come here often? And uh, that's so dumb. You shouldn't be laughing at that. She's like, actually, it's my first time. I just came out of your rib. Anyways, uh, 
And so he sees her, and he's just like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, she, yeah, this is for me, God, right? And all those other animals I was not attracted to. But this one, I like, I like this one. I'll keep this one. This one's, this one's Eve, okay? And uh, so listen, uh, we know that Adam liked what he saw. We definitely know Adam liked what he saw because he wrote a poem, okay? And as a male... Not in all accounts, but I can speak with a lot of reliability on this subject, okay? You have to be really excited to write a poem for a few, like, whatever, I don't, anyways, for most guys, like, you have to be really excited to write a poem. And, uh, and so here's a poem that he wrote. He said, he said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, Austin? You know what I'm saying? You guys just got me. They're three months in. They get it. He's like, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's getting hot in here. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody's like, whoo, you know, like he was very excited to see this Eve. He was excited to see Eve. And I mean, God brought a naked woman to Adam. Like I think he knew it was about to happen. You know what I mean? Like I think God knew what was about to happen. And God gave us this gift. He was the father, he was the first father of the bride. He was the first one to give a daughter away at the first wedding. He was the first pastor to officiate a wedding ceremony. And God, from then till now, wants us to understand that sex is a gift to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. It's pleasurable, and it's designed to be that way. I mean, anyways, I'm not going to say that joke, but, like, it's meant to be pleasurable in, in the context of marriage. And so, but some people... Some people, I don't know, maybe your parents are like this, whatever, but like some people kind of act like sex is just this necessary evil to bring children into the world. But here's the deal. God's a clever God. If he wanted, you know, he made Adam out of dust. Like if he really wanted more people in the world, he could just like sneeze into the ground and more people would show up, right? (laughs) Like he could periodically do that, but he picked a way that feels really good. And, you know, like, (laughs) you know, if. I've had some. I plan on having more later if the night goes well. So, you know, I don't know. (laughs) My wife. We're going to edit that out. So, uh, anyways. But here's the deal. I don't think God is embarrassed. I don't think God is angry that we figured out a a blissful way to, to enjoy something. Like, I don't think God's embarrassed, and I don't think he's mad and angry that we found a way to enjoy like our sexual union in the context of marriage. I mean, God invented sex. It's like, like there's so many verses in the, like, uh, there's books, like there's a book in the Bible called Song of Solomon. Like, holy smokes. If you want to read like, it's like a romance novel. You know what I mean? Like Song of Solomon's crazy. And there's verses all over the Bible, like in Proverbs. Oh man, I'm so happy my wife's here. But there's a a, a verse in Proverbs that says, let your wife's breasts, satisfy you at all times. I was like, Kirsten, here's this verse uh, I wanted to share with you. You know, like, you know, and that's my favorite verse in the Bible. It's actually my life verse. I have it on, I have it on my mirror. I have it on my mirror. Anyways, that's the best, that's a great part of the Bible. But, uh, but God's not ashamed of it. Like, God created it. He invented it. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not ashamed that when you're married, you enjoy sex with your spouse. Like, that's a good thing. Okay? And so the second thing, the second thing to take away is sex isn't just pleasurable, it's powerful. Sex 
isn't just, uh, sex is pleasurable, but it's not just pleasurable, uh, it's powerful. God knows sex is not just ple- pleasurable, he knows it's also powerful. It's powerful. I mean, sex is powerful. And that's why God told us, not, not just that we can have it, but he told us how to use it. God says, here's this gift called sex that you can have in the context of marriage. This is how I want you to use it. It's so powerful that this is how I want you to use it. Because if you use it outside of this context, it's going to get crazy. And it's going to be harmful for you. And this happens with all things that are powerful. Like if you buy a chainsaw, it's going to come with some instructions. Like don't use it in this way or you're going to cut your arm off. You know what I mean? Like all things that have power that are powerful come with some sort of instructions, correct? Okay? They're going to tell you how to use it. So why... Is it at the moment that, that, that something God invented, that God holds a patent on, we get mad when God says wait? Why do we get mad at God when he says wait? Because the devil's a liar. He, he likes to act like this is something that he created. He wants to plant this thought in your head that, that God's trying to withhold from you. You know, God invented sex. He gave us sex. So why should we think that the moment he tells us how to use it, he's trying to withhold something fun from us? Why would we think that for some reason he's trying to keep us from having fun? It's because the devil is a liar, okay? God wants you, God wants to tell you how to use it because sex is just, isn't just pleasurable, it's super, super powerful. So at the very first moment, at the very first moment, it is given to us right then and there. So God gives us sex, and so right then and there, God spoke in how we should uh, use sex, how, how sex should be used, okay? And look at what he says. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Therefore, okay, Adam and Eve, boom, here's this gift of sex. Therefore, a man or a woman, they're going to leave their father and mother, and they're going to be joined together in marriage and they're going to be one flesh. I mean, how, he, like, that's amazing. A man's going to leave his father and mother. A woman's going to leave her father and mother. Sorry. And they're going to be joined together to form this new family. They're going to come together and before God under this, this covenant of marriage to form this new family. And Jesus in the New Testament affirms this by saying, so what God has brought together, he, he quotes this, and then he says, so what God has joined, uh, brought together, let no one separate. So Jesus affirms this, okay? Um, and so it's called the marriage bed. And God says, so here's sex. Like, I gave you sex. And he says, here's how to use it, okay? Because like, because like fire, fire is a wonderful thing. Fire is a wonderful thing. It's powerful. It's powerful, okay? Um, fire can heat up your home. Uh, fire can heat up your life, it can cook your food, it can propel your car down the road through internal combustion in the engine. Uh, But if you take fire out of its carefully designed arena where it should be, be, what can happen? It can cause devastation. Like, let's just take a little fire and put a little fire in the drapes. Or let's just take a little fire and put a little fire in the closet. What's going to happen? It's going to burn down your house. It's going to burn down your house. So, so, so sex feels good. It's powerful. It's pleasurable in the right context. So God says, hey, here's sex. I invented it, and here's how to get the most out of it. 
Here's how to experience my best for your life. I want you to experience my best for your life. Like, I'm not holding anything against you, okay? But because sex is powerful, this is how I want you to use it, okay? It's pleasurable, but it's also powerful, okay? And, and, and Satan would want you to think that God's trying to withhold something from you, and he's not, okay? So anytime, I, I, you have to write this down, okay? You have to write this down. Anytime you would hear God say don't, Anytime you would hear God say don't, you can finish it with, with this, don't hurt yourself. Every time you hear God say don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. He's not saying, I don't want you to not have fun. Like God's not a fun sucker. You know what I mean? But every time you hear God say don't, at the end of that ad, don't hurt yourself. <laughs> like scripture says, like, don't get drunk on much wine. It's not like God's saying, you know. I don't want you to have fun. He's saying, don't hurt yourself. I mean, how many great decisions have you made while plastered? I mean, I maybe made one. Actually, zero. You know what I mean? So, like, God says, I mean, I've never been plastered. Uh, but he says, don't hurt yourself. When he says don't, when he says wait till marriage, when he says don't have sex until you're married, it's not because I don't want you to have fun. It's because I want you to not hurt yourself. It's so much better in the context of what I gave you, what I, so anyways, so, uh, so the big idea tonight, the big idea, the point number three is, it's not having a sex drive, a sex drive, that's the problem, it's letting sex drive, it's not having a sex drive, you guys, his eyes are like this big, it's awesome, uh, it's not having a sex drive, that's the problem, it's letting sex drive, having a sex drive, that's how God made you, and that's okay. Like, God's not messing with you. He's not putting a desire in your life to which there's no fulfillment for that desire. That's actually, uh, uh, Blaise Pascal, that's like one of his proof. Anyways, you guys don't care about this. But it's one of his proofs for God that there's desires in all of us that can't be fulfilled, like, on this earth. Like, there's desire for immortality. Like, so he says that's a proof for God. So anyways, God's not going to put a desire in your heart that he can't fulfilled. That's not going to be able to be fulfilled within his context. So if you have a desire for sex, like that's, that's okay. Like that's a good thing. And God put that there and he can fulfill that uh, in his timing. Okay. So having a sex drive is not the problem. The problem is, is letting sex drive. And so that's what Levi discusses in this book, you know, and, and, and our culture's uh, approach to sexuality is whatever you feel, do it. And if that's your, uh, if that's your point of view, that's okay. You can have your point of view, but I'm going to preach from my point of view and what I believe God's point of view is. But culturally, society would say, like, whatever you want to do, do it. Like, if it feels good, do it. No one should ever say no. Like, don't restrain yourself. But that's how people go to prison. You know what I mean? Like, like if you don't restrain yourself, like, that's how people go to prison. You know what I mean? But culture saying, do whatever you want. Like, if it feels good, do it. And so uh, that's a problem. Like, doing whatever you feel that destroys marriages. Just take whatever you want. That destroys lives. Like, do whatever you want. Do whatever feels good. Like, do whatever your impulses are is bad advice. You know, people love to teach that there's no God and we're all just animals. But when people start acting like animals, they're appalled by it. And it's because we have been created for more. Like, if you look at, like, in the world, what do animals do? You know what I mean? Like, like. We know better because we've been given more. And so letting sex drive, that's a huge mistake. Like don't take your hands off the wheel and let your desires dictate your decisions. 
Like, I'm saying this from, like, the like softest pastor's heart ever. Like, don't, don't just let your sexual desires dictate uh, what you do and, and your decisions. And we're going to talk a lot about that in, in this series. Like, what happens when we do that? What happens when we just let sex drive? Like, what kind of road does that leave us down? Like, if we only do what feels good now, what kind of person is that creating in us? Like, what kind of character is that going to create inside of you and inside of me if we're always uh, deferring to our gratification? Like, what kind of character does that bring in a person if we're always just giving into gratification, instant gratification? Okay? So if you have a desire for sex, like... There's a righteous fulfillment for that in the context of marriage. And what, you have to, what we have to understand is when God says no, he doesn't mean, he doesn't always mean forever. Sometimes he just means like not right now, not yet. But when you take, when you and I take, uh, when we take what God says don't, uh, don't touch yet, don't do, we can prevent him from being able to give us uh, what he wants to give us. Like when we... Can I give you some stats, some stuff? Like the, when we go, like if we're, you know, trying, when we're giving into or we're pursuing uh, sex outside of marriage and stuff, that can prevent us from having the fulfillment of sex in marriage, okay? And here's some data. So the data is coming back and tells us that those who do not have a history of pornography and those who do not have previous partners tend to report higher levels of enjoyment of sex within marriage. So that's, okay, so if you're like, if you get like really embarrassed, like you might want to plug your ears out there. I don't know how old you are, but um, sorry, everybody can look, it's fine. Uh, like if you get embarrassed really easily, uh, plug your ears, but so I warned you. Um, women are twice as likely to experience orgasm in a committed relationship, like the context of marriage, than as they would in a casual encounter. So in the context of marriage, it's better as a woman to wait than to have these casual relationships. And so we're seeing that the, da the data is actually backing up scripture. Who would have thought? And so, so God is not trying to keep you. Do I need to read that stat again or we're all good? Everybody's good. Okay. Uh, God is not trying to keep you from pleasure. Okay. God's not trying to keep you from pleasure. He's not trying to keep pleasure from you. He has much for you. You know, I think about what Time Magazine said in 2016 in a cover story uh, unraveling this, the, the, the truth about pornography and what it's doing to us. Like, they reported that there's this whole generation. There's this whole generation of, of young people who are saying that when, they're, when they actually get to be with an actual person where their clothes are off, and they're in the bedroom, they're finding themselves having no ability to perform at all because they're so saturated in pornography and all these, like, quick, you know, uh, sexual experiences that when they get into, the, like, a committed relationship and they're with an actual person, they can't perform. Uh, they have a diminished passion. They have a diminished uh, desire. And so we have a whole generation of young people who, uh, who, who are saying that, um, that they just have no desire to be with an actual person. Um, there's also another uh, stat that says sexually active singles have the most problems, have higher uh, have higher rates of depression than those consuming, and, and those consuming lots of amount of pornography have poorer physical health and worse grades. So it's basically it's killing. Like we don't even know. Like it, like we're just now starting to find out like what's really happening with this pornography 
thing. But it's Time Magazine, like it's killing a generation. They said many of them, um, it's because, and a lot of you know this, but, but uh, pornography is like a drug. You know, it's like, it's like addicting, like, like heroin. And so it lights up the same centers as, as uh, pornography lights up the same centers as, uh, as what drugs do. And it's causing people to be conditioned to only be satisfied sexually uh, in that way, in that certain context. So, so a real aging human being right in front of them is just, just not doing it anymore. It's just not doing it anymore because the arousal only comes through the addiction of looking at a screen or this, like, scenario that's, like, hit it and quit it. It's quick. Like, it's over, like, and it's killing an entire generation. Like, this is us. This is us. This is people, like, this is millennial and generation, generation Z. Like, this is us. And so we have to talk about this stuff. That's what this series is going to be all about. Um, and so God intended us to have... To, to, to have sex in the context of one person. One person. God intended us to be pleased by one person. Um, and there's just so many of us who cannot be, uh, we're, we're training ourselves to not be satisfied unless it's through these certain things. We've trained ourselves to not be able to, not be able to enjoy um, the person in front of us. And so we have sex everywhere, sex everywhere and not a drop to drink. And so this reminds me a lot of pineapples. Um, greatest pastor transition ever. <clears throat> uh, do, you guys, do you guys know about pineapples? This is a pineapple. Um, do you guys know what pineapples are? Y'all ever heard of them? No? So what's really interesting Levi talks about in the book is that, uh, like, you know, the story, like, Columbus sailed Ocean Blue, 1492. What was it? Yeah, it's was something like that, whatever. Anyways, in the 15 and 1600s, uh, you know, people are coming over from the new land or whatever, and uh, they're bringing over pineapples. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Like, what is this thing? And so uh, they brought it back over to Europe, and the Europeans are like, what, do you, well, what should we call it? And they're like, well, it looks like a pine cone, but it's juicy like an apple. And so they call it uh, pineapple. That's the story. Anyways, but uh, what's so amazing is that these things are so hard to get. These pineapples were so hard to find that um, people would pay crazy uh, amounts of money to have them. Like, <coughs> in, its, in its heyday, at the, like, top of whatever, like, it was, like, people, someone would pay $8,000 for a pineapple. At the height of its, of its uh, popularity, people would pay $8,000. They would actually have viewing parties for pineapples. Viewing parties, like like the, like like a Super Bowl party, they would have a someone would be like, "Oh my gosh, I saw a pineapple," and like this person has a pineapple. We're gonna go over tonight. It's gonna be crazy. We're gonna have wine and just stare at this pineapple. It's gonna be amazing. And like seriously, people would do that, you know. And a lot of times, people would not even eat the pineapple. They would let the pineapple rot. Like they would let it sit there because it was so delicate, it was so precious, it was so rare that they wouldn't even touch it. Like they would just like let it rot. It's crazy. It's crazy, you know, and pi so pineapples were like the height of like just wealth and everything, right? And so then um, you fast forward to, to now, like to now, and it's like, yeah, it's a stupid pineapple. Who cares, you know? Maybe this week, Kirsten and I are just going to sit down and stare at a pineapple, see what happens. Um, anyways, that was supposed to be a joke, but... Um, <laughs> Um, one writer, so like, yeah, this used to be the height of like popularity. This used to be the height of wealth, you know, like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, this is precious. Like, we're going to stare at this. We're not going to like, 
okay? And so one writer observed that today, it's today, one of the most uh, least glamorous fruits. But here's the deal. Nothing about the pineapple has changed. Nothing about this fruit has changed over the past 200 years. The only thing that has changed is our attitude towards it. Nothing about this pineapple has changed. The only thing that has changed is our attitude towards it. And I wonder if that's a perfect picture for what's happening to sex today. Because as God designed it, we would see sex um, happen in our lives in one very specific, very guarded, very controlled context within the marriage bed. And there would only be one person, there would only be one person that you would be naked in front of, and before them, you could be naked in front of them and unashamed. Like there's only going to be one person. And, you know, and out of all the billions of people on earth, you would be in this club that's so exclusive, just you and her, or only you and him. Like it was just like the special thing. And the two of you together would enjoy this treasure that's called sex and this gift that's, that God gave us and this delight, like a fine wine that would only get better with time. That you would never be lying in bed comparing your partner's performance to that of former, former people that you've been with. That you'd never be fighting against the images that are trapped in your head, you know, because nobody ever told you it takes, you know, three seconds to, to watch a porn clip, but it takes a lifetime to get out of your head. Like, nobody ever t tells you that. That you would never be, the plan was never that you would be uh, hoping and praying that the rash that your partner has is something that isn't something that you gave them because of past sexual experiences in your life. You see, sex would be this special and this beautiful and this wonderful thing that would be so exotic, that would be so noteworthy because it's so special. Like that was God's design for marriage for you and for me. And now the pineapple is easy come, easy go. It's everywhere. And if sex is everywhere, then no wonder we come to situations where we feel like we're surrounded by it, but we're never fulfilled by it. We're surrounded by it, but we're never fulfilled. Nothing satisfies. None of these things are satisfying. And so there's a story of Jesus who meets a Samaritan woman at a well. And that's a whole other sermon. I could talk about why that was special. But uh, Jesus meets this woman in the Bible. Uh, he has an encounter with her who is in this state, where she is in this state where, where nothing is satisfying her. She's been married five times, and she's been divorced five times. And so she's so disillusioned. Like, there's sex everywhere. Husbands everywhere, but, you know, not a drop to drink. Like, there's water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. You know, like, this, this, this thrill would last for a little while. It would be exciting for a little while, but eventually the excitement would die, and it would get stale, and, you know, it would get old. And, and we don't know all of her backstory, so we can't judge this, this, this lady, but, but we know that she had come to a place where she was so disillusioned that she gave up on the notion of ever finding the right person. Like, she gave up on, on the notion of finding the right uh, Mr. Right, so she just settled for Mr. Present. And I just wonder if there's some ladies in this room tonight where you have settled for Mr. Uh, uh, present 
and not Mr. Right. I don't know. I, I just wonder if that's true. But anyways, so she's shacked up with this guy, and, and you know, and she doesn't have a lot of friends, and, and, and we're just so sad for this woman the more and more we, we hear about her. And so then, this is so amazing. I'm going to ask the band to come up. <clears throat> um, and so Jesus met this woman one day, and he showed her love. Like, he knows her sexual history. She knows her, he knows her past, and he looks her in the eye, and he spoke to her as though she had value because she does have value, and he cared about her as a daughter, as a, as a child of God, as a child of, of the king, as someone created in the image of God. And he looked at her like he looks at you, and he looks at me, and he told her this. He said, honey, I don't know if he said honey, but he said, honey, because they're at the well, right? And he says, whoever drinks of this water... Whoever drinks of the water of this world will just get thirsty again. And she knew exactly what, what he was talking about. All these things you're trying to find like, to fulfill your desires, none of these things, those past five relationships, the guy that you're shacked up with now will not fulfill you. You're drinking from the wrong water. It's bitter. It's bitter. And what you're experiencing, this bitterness, this disillusionment, this uh, disillusionment is because you're looking to something on earth, on this earth, that is not going to satisfy you. It's just not going to do. And he explained to her, and he said this. He said, if you would drink the water, this is so good. We're about to get really good. Um, he says, can everybody stand up real quick? We're going we're gonna to worship here. But he says, if you would drink the water that I would give you, you will never thirst. But it would become in you a spring, a fountain, a river gushing out with torrents of living water. He says, you're looking for something on earth to do for what you only I can do. And I came to church tonight to tell you that the cross can make what is bitter become sweet. The cross can make what is bitter become sweet. He can make your past that is bitter become sweet. Because that's what God can do for you. That's what he's been doing on the cross. That's what he's done. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you've been with, God can make what was bitter become sweet. And that's why, listen to me, okay? So that's why God told Moses, this is so good. It's about to get really good, okay? So that's why God to told Moses in response to the bitterness in, in that water of Mara. Okay, look, oh my gosh, this is so special. He says, this is so powerful. And because it's pointing to Jesus, God said to Moses, look at the tree. Look at this tree. And the Lord showed him a tree and he cast it into the waters and the waters became sweet. Why a tree? Why a tree? I don't know. In Genesis 3, the knowledge of good and evil is hanging on a tree. And that tree that Moses threw in the waters, that tree is pointing to another tree, a tree made of two pieces of wood that would be assembled together in the New Testament, that the Son of God would leave heaven and come down to earth and be nailed to and die upon for you and for me so our lives that were bitter can become sweet. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And so Jesus... So Jesus was hung on a tree. He lived a sinless life, was hung on a tree to make your life, which was bitter, sweet. And I'm here to tell you tonight that, that God can change, like God can totally transform who you were in the past. If you would give him all those things that you've been holding on to, all the things that have disillusioned you, he can make your life sweet. He can, he, he can change your past. Like, here's the deal. We can't change anything that we've done in the past. But all we have to do is confess it. Say, God, I give you my past. God, help me. Like, I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to live in a way that the world tells me to live. And Jesus can totally transform your life. 
He can help you look up. He can help you swipe right. And that's the heart of this. That's the heart of this series. That's the heart of this series. It's not just to help you pick who the right person is, but we want to help you grow closer to Jesus so you don't live in, 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 in a state where you used to live, in this, in this state that you used to live. We want you to, out of relationship, choose to choose the things that God has for you because God has so much, so much in store for you. And maybe you're here tonight and you're like, man, you just don't know what I've done. You just don't know what I've done. And I'm here to tell you, man, like, if you knew what I've done, you would not be worried. You would not be worried because the deal is the cross has the final word. What Jesus did on the cross has the final word. So I want you to give that up to the Lord tonight. Like, whatever it is you've done in the past, whatever you're struggling with, like, God wants to help you through that. We want to help you through that. We hope that you'll stick together with this series. But we're going to sing. I want you to give whatever it is you're, you're struggling with to the Lord.